0: Welcome to Fostering Our Faith podcast. Today's guest, Holly Marlowe, is the author of several incredible books inspired by children and families in care. She is the author of Deli Duck, Room in the Nest, Cousins by Adoption, Adopting a Little Brother or Sister, and So You've Adopted a Sibling. Listen in from the United Kingdom as Holly shares her heart for kids in care and her struggle with fibromyalgia. Allie, welcome to Fostering Our Faith Podcast and welcome from America. This is cool. You are my very first overseas guest and got the time zone right. Took us probably longer than it should have. Um, but I want to let you introduce yourself.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm Holly Marlowe. I am a parent um, of one biological daughter who is um, seven and a half years old. The half is very important to her. Um, and I have an adopted son who recently turned four and he's been with us for about three years um, and in the last couple of years I left, uh, left my um, role in aerospace and defense and started writing children's books um, about adoption because I wanted to help explain things to my children and other people's children.
0: Wow so my son's in the army um, so wow air I did not know that piece about you That is so, like, interesting. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I love reading, and your books made me cry. Deli Duck, which is the first of the series, and seeing how Caring Goose tries so hard to help Deli be successful, reminds me of this conversation that I had with one of our caseworkers. So we had a three-month-old foster baby, and the caseworker stood in my kitchen, and she said, I know she can do this. And I, I know she can get her back. And to me, it was so beautiful to hear someone who's in the corner of the birth mom, right? Like the birth mom is not like this, this monster. So can you tell us how you came up with Caring Goose and her role in the book?
1: So all, all of the social workers who we met during the adoption process, and since then actually, <laughs> were really empathetic people. Um, And they all talked really kindly about the birth families when they were talking about possible matches for us and they were explaining why these birth parents weren't able to look after their children. Um, So I think Caring Goose is kind of heavily inspired by them. Um, And the whole reason I wrote the book in the first place was to explain to my daughters, I mean, why some children can't stay with their birth families. And one of the things that she was really kind of heartbroken about when we were first talking about adoption was the thought of someone being removed from their birth family. Um, so I wanted to make sure that the story would show that social workers don't just remove a child on a whim, you know, I wanted to highlight all the good stuff they do, trying to help children, uh, um, parents to understand how to feed their children and how to keep them safe, how to make a safe home for them, um, and to show all that good support that does go on that um, a child just wouldn't know about. <laughs> so um, that was definitely something I wanted to highlight in the story.
0: And I mean, just the beautifulness of, I think one of the best parts to me um, is the wise old owl. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the the picture of, you know, having to have such heavy wisdom dealing with these cases, Mm -hmm. you know, that to me was just a, a beautiful picture. But the story also has such undertones of the life of drug addiction. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a video of, it's a bird, and you know he does drugs for the first time and it makes him fly and he softly falls to the ground and then he gets the next hit and flies a little shorter and falls a little harder and then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where you know he's just not flying anymore he's just on the floor um and so even before i got to the end where you beautifully beautifully explained the butterflies i saw the chase of the high and i would say it's such a great way for a child to understand. It's not that Delhi is trying to harm her child. It's more that she really just doesn't realize the chase is hurting them until somebody says like, this is hurting your child, right? Like she's not doing it purposefully. So how did you come up with the idea of chasing butterflies?
1: So <clears throat> I'm not really sure where butterflies in particular came from to be honest. Well, it was summer, so they were everywhere, but um, my, My focus really was to show, find a way to show Delhi leaving her egg on its own, um, so that that could be a conversation starter for how that's not safe and how um, making safe choices for children begins even when they're in the womb, because um, of course addictions can affect babies while they're still in utero. Um, And I thought, well, she might leave her child on their own if she's suffering from an addiction or a mental health condition or. Maybe she just has learning difficulties. So we need something that can be interpreted for any of those situations. Um, and I think I did just look out into the garden. And <laughs> and I thought, she probably follows something. <laughs> and then it, it kind of came to me, and it felt right. Um, it, it seemed to fit. Because um, I think chasing butterflies seems like a harmless activity at first. And it's something that anyone could do with no malicious intent um, without realizing it's a bad idea. Um, until someone points it out. So I thought this is a good way that Deli can eventually realize or the social worker character can point out to her that she's been neglecting her egg while doing this thing that she thought was fun and harmless.
0: If you think about, you know, when you're first following the butterfly, that is harmless. It's the further and further you get away that really that's where the danger comes. Yeah, um, So one line, Dele loved him. Mm-hmm. That's where I started crying. No. Um, so so often, I mean, in the States at least, you know, first families are seen as like sometimes like the monster, right? Like, how could you to your child, right? And it gets lost in translation that they actually love their children with mm-hmm. their whole hearts. So you point out just simple incapabilities that Delhi struggles with. And and it reminded me, so one of our adopted kids, he's number 10 out of his siblings. They're all adopted. Um, the birth parents are just intellectually disabled Mm -hmm. to the point where she was actually feeding him like whole banana at like four months old. And so like luckily the caseworker was like, no, 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 you know, and stopped it. Um, But were these real instances that kind of pulled these scenarios out into these books?
1: Sort of. So Delhi wasn't based on any one person, but um, during the adoption preparation training that my husband and I did, we did meet a real birth mum who I think gave me a lot of empathy for birth parents because suddenly, me she was a real human and I, I understood that you know um, I, I could just relate to her um, and I could imagine myself being in that position if I'd had the upbringing that she'd had and been in the situation she'd been in um, and we were also told a lot of stories about where children had been taken into foster care and I, I started reading books written by birth parents and listening to podcasts by birth parents so Um, That all kind of humanised birth parents for me and and helped me to understand it a bit better. Um, We also, in in the UK, relinquishment is really, really rare. There's only a couple of cases a year. Um, Some years there's none. So all adoption is from foster care because children have been moved really. Um, It's very unusual to hear of relinquishment. So that's why that that was such a focus for my book was that um, this this parent has to not be able to, she's not making this choice really. she had to show that she cannot do this, um, even if she's trying, um, which is really sad. Um, so yeah, in our in our training, we were also told that um, uh, in a lot of cases, the parents really should have been adopted or taken into foster care themselves, but they were neglected as children and didn't have that exposure to safe parenting that teaches you how to look after a child. So. Basically, when I was writing Deli Duck, I just tried to use metaphors that could be interpreted to help explain all of those scenarios, um, those most common scenarios that we have here.
0: Okay, and that is just the first book, (laughs) Deli Duck. Then, you know, you move on to Room in the Nest, um, and Cousins by Adoption, Adopting a Little Brother or Sister, and so you've Adopted a Sibling, Mm -hmm. and Adoption After a Biological Child. I think you like to write. Like this is your. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I've discovered it now. Yeah. (laughs) So, room in the nest. Can you share what inspired this story, which is more from like a foster parents, caseworker, and judge's perspective, and really wraps up Little Chick's story as well?
1: Sure. So this one came about because we stayed in touch with my son's foster family, um, who are wonderful. We see them every few months, and we send them messages and photos much more frequently than that. Um, But lots of his foster siblings, who he really cares about, had different outcomes to him. So I found myself explaining at different times that one of them was going back to live with their birth family and then one was going to live with grandparents. um, And some of the others were going to stay in long term foster care and they still are. Um, And so I thought maybe putting it all into a book uh, would help him and other children to process that there's lots of different things that can happen in foster care. And I was also thinking that it might be useful for children who are still in foster care but don't know what the plan is for them yet. So maybe they kind of benefit from understanding what all the possible op- outcomes are. To, I, I mean, in some some children won't cope with that, it'll be too much uncertainty, but um, some will, will really just want to understand, well, what might happen. And also, once you know what the outcome is, you can use the book to say, this is what's going to happen to you. you know, this could have happened but didn't for this reason, this could have happened this is what's happening, so it kind of, and I've done it in an order of how the social workers would approach things, so um, you may notice the first family, uh, they're reunified, and and the little chick goes back to their mum, and then the second family, they go to um, extended family, to grandparents, because social workers always think, well, who else can they go to live with, because it, ideally, it'd be good if they could go to another family member, um, and it's only when that can't happen that they get um we moved into a more long-term foster care solution or, or adoption and um, various other options. So yeah, that, that's where that one came from. Um,
0: so President Obama actually instituted in America like a, a language rule, the language law um, where children cannot be in foster care for more than 18 months. They shouldn't be at least, you know, it's not mm-hmm. perfect. Um, and that, that has helped here a lot because we had, children in four, five, six, seven years and a couple of ours were definitely over the 18 month mark um but that was you know parents doing well and so mm-hmm. they were given chance of a chance after chance <clears throat> and so um that's that's been very helpful and also i i'd have to go back and double check this i think this was under clinton but um they came up with like family first so our county actually for the last 20 years, which is like phenomenal because this was not heard of 20 years ago, but our specific county has had a kinship home finding unit that Mm -hmm. they, they specifically, while the home finding unit is trying to find a foster family, the kinship unit is like beating down the doors of all the family and friends of the foster family, uh, or I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, the birth family so that maybe the kids don't have to go into straight foster care you know that's the that's the goal um but for them to have that that site 20 years ago is incredible um mm. so but i'm pretty biased about our county i think they're like just phenomenal so um so the other part of this is as you're writing as you're raising kids as you are oh, oh I'm sorry what did you say you did again before this
1: um so i was in supply chain in um aerospace and defense that's amazing that's
0: so
1: cool.
0: That is like, <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, wow. Okay, so um, the harder side of your struggle with fibromyalgia, can you share a little bit about that and what your journey has looked like as you struggle with pain daily?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest impact nowadays is that I can't hold a pen for very long at all which is quite silly really, because I'm a writer who can't write. <laughs> um, so if I write more than a few words at once, my hand seizes up and then the pain travels up my elbow into my shoulder blade and my neck and I end up having a, a huge full body flare up. Um, so that can make book signing events very tricky. Um, but I've found so far that people have been very understanding if I've needed to take a bit of a break. And uh, I'm not quite at the stage where I have thousands of people queuing up to get me to sign books yet. <laughs> Sadly, (laughs) so I'm okay. Um, But I I also really wanted to illustrate at least some of Room in the Nest myself, um, just because I I am quite an artistic person and I feel like um, my fibromyalgia has kind of taken that away from me um, the ability to do that. So I've been learning how to illustrate digitally over the last couple of years. And so a lot of the characters and items that you see in Room in the Nest are things that I drew in very small pieces. and then I illustri- uh, digitally edited them to create um, other things. So, um, for example, I drew a butterfly wing, a head and a couple of segments of the butterfly's body. And then I scanned those in and I used those pieces to create another wing and more segments of the body. And I sort of manipulated things around and, and tweaked them. And once I had one butterfly, then I was able to manipulate that and make more butterflies. <laughs> so They've all come from just some tiny drawings. Um, and it's, it's been quite, um, quite fun finding a way around that and proving to myself that I'm not going to let it stop me, you know, um, well, it's, it's frustrating having the pain, but, um, I'm fortunate that with technology nowadays, it hasn't been as limiting as it could have been.
0: And so I know you like to garden and this year I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm going to garden i bought a greenhouse i bought seeds i bought the whole nine and (laughs) i got them all put into the greenhouse and the greenhouse blew away (laughs) oh no (laughs) right down the yard (laughs) so anytime i meet a gardener i'm like i i just can't we do have this like phenomenal fresh fruit fresh food store like right down the way here. Uh, and I am so grateful because otherwise like my poor children. <laughs> just, but meanwhile, my neighbor is like, I, I mean, she's like this phenomenal gardener Like right? she just has these like giant plants that grow everything you could possibly imagine. And um, she's just watching my greenhouse go down the hill. <laughs> like, so, oh, so I have such respect, um, but how has it been like doing things like gardening and things like that? How has that been?
1: Um, Well, I'm pretty terrible at gardening to be honest. I just enjoy it, but I'm not good at it by any stretch of the (laughs) imagination. I feel better, I feel better. No, it's kind of a long-standing joke. My husband keeps buying me gardening books and I'm still managing to just destroy everything that I plant, but um, I I just have to do everything very kind of carefully and gradually and and everything I do, I I try and um, keep my body even because if I'm not balanced, Um, then I end up with pain all down one side so yeah I I do have a gardener come and help me sometimes (laughs) um, with the the heaviest harder stuff (laughs) that's more physical Um, and my son is really getting into gardening now so um, that's been really fun so he enjoys doing a lot of the small fiddly stuff that would really hurt my hands Um, so that's that's really sweet and it's nice that we have that together that's one of our few hobbies that nobody else in the family is interested in so that's kind of our one-on-one time bonding
0: activity that's awesome um and i want to revert back for one second <clears throat> because you were talking about staying in contact with the former foster family
1: that's right yeah
0: and we had we've had over 20 foster kids some have stayed three days some have stayed years it's it's varied but we had this one little girl and we knew that we could not foster her long term When she came into our home, we were adopting our son. We were going on our first family vacation because we could cross state lines. So we were like so excited. So we knew we were not keeping her. She was here about three months. And the day came to bring her to her new foster home. And by the time I got to this woman's door, this poor woman is a first time foster mom. I get to bring her to the foster home and I show up at her doorstep sobbing like i can't stop myself i'm like oh my gosh this is so awkward i don't know but i'm explaining to her like you'll see you're gonna see how this feels you know if she goes home if she goes to another you know placement um i was like this is this is this is raw this is real Mm. and that night she sent me a bunch of pictures Mm. um we stayed very close uh the girl the little girl actually did end up going home to her mom Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a beautiful story of reunification Um, but foster parents helping other foster parents, especially when you have their previous child is like so beautiful that they don't just like drop you and are like, well, we have the child now. So just, you know, so that's, that's so beautiful. And I highly encourage any foster families to really reach out, branch out to the former foster families, you know, as much as your family services allows, Um, you know, some have some rules about that and stuff, but that is such a beautiful picture. Uh, you know, we always think of like birth families, grandparents, you know, whatever, but former foster families are just as invested. They got yeah. that, the whole heart there. Um, so that's, that is beautiful. Beautiful. Um, all right. So here is what I'm saying. I am saying buy these books, buy the books, because these are like powerful stories that little kids can grasp onto and kind of get a picture of what's going on in their world without making it all the heavy like that that's what's missing is like the heavy you know these are more lighthearted um because kids don't necessarily always see the heavy right Mm -hmm. and we don't want to bring that in if they're not seeing it yeah Um, and so if if we can do this in a way where we're not ignoring the fact that this stuff is happening right that that's another beautiful part of this is that you're you're not ignoring it Mm -hmm. but you are acknowledging it And I said, as we were talking before we pushed record, you know, my sister was five when she went into care with me. I was 13. Had she had this? Because we, not that we didn't have the conversation that we were in care, but we didn't have the conversation that we were in care. Like, it wasn't an ongoing thing. We just were there. And that was just how it was. And, um, you know, for her to have this acknowledgement of, you know, it's not not to hurt you kind of thing Mm. would, you know have definitely been beneficial to her as such such a young age. So, and and even if you don't have foster kids yet and you are licensed, buy the books ahead of time so that when the child gets there, you still have the ability to read them to them. Lord, I thank you for Holly. I thank you so much for her heart for kids and care I thank you that you have given her this amazing ability to write stories that touch children's hearts and to help them understand their stories as they grow. I pray for the kids that are in care. I pray for the kids that read these books, that you will just help heal their hearts and show them your truth. It is in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.